Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. In case you can already tell, I am not Jonathan Ellsworth because Jonathan is currently skiing in Iceland. Instead, today you've got me, Luke Kappa. I'm the managing editor at Blister, which means I do a lot of different things, including this week, filling in for Jonathan while he gets to go ski pow down to the ocean, probably see the northern lights and swim with narwhals or something, which I'm not jealous of, like, at all. Anyway, like always, you can find everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today on the podcast, we've got another edition of our Reviewer Reports series, where we catch up with our reviewers to hear about some of the latest gear they've been testing. Today, we've got a wide-ranging conversation with Kristen Sinnott, Dylan Wood, Kara Williard, Drew Kelly, and myself, where we cover everything from the not-so-light setups that Drew used while he was touring for several weeks in Alaska this spring, to a whole bunch of skis and bindings that all of us have been using this spring in both the backcountry and the resort. We also touch on some new outerwear with an obligatory anorak inclusion since Jonathan is gone and he can't yell at me for it, at least right now, as well as an update from Kara on some heated socks she's been using and even some unique gear and devious tricks that Kristen has been using to ski with her son. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Mountain Flow EcoWax. And while I've personally spent the past several years abusing my own skis by skiing through the summer and fall, leaving them covered in mud and pine needles and then finding dry, damaged bases when I dig them out of the garage in the fall, I know that most people with less masochistic tendencies are starting to transition to smarter, more normal activities. So it's a great time to get your skis and boards properly sorted for summer storage. Applying a coat of storage wax is a big part of that, and Mountain Flow makes bio-based waxes that are great for that purpose. I'd highly recommend going to mountainflow.com to check out their waxes and head to their YouTube channel where they have a super easy tutorial on how to apply a storage wax to make your life a whole lot more enjoyable when the snow does start falling again next fall. Oh, and if you are into the whole hike really long time to ski sun cups and runnels all summer thing, then I'd also highly recommend picking up their skin wax. I personally keep a small bar in my pack at all times, and on many occasions it has saved me from some massive glopping issues on warm, slushy skin tracks. If you've ever dealt with that, I think you know that skin wax can be a day saver in that regard. Finally, if you haven't already been watching them, we've started releasing our brand lineup videos that we shot back at Blister Summit this year. That's where we sat down with designers and product managers from dozens of brands to run us through all the new products they're releasing for next season. If you were a Gear 30 fan, I can almost guarantee that you'll enjoy these conversations. We get to go in-depth on a whole bunch of new and interesting products, and all of these videos are being posted right on our YouTube channel, so be sure to subscribe to catch all of those or just re-watch our telly and snowblade crash course videos to watch us fall a whole bunch all right with all that said let's get to our conversation with Kristen, dylan kara and drew okay well i think we have what might be close to a gear 30 record in terms of the number of blister reviewers all on one podcast but today we have Kara Williard, Kristen Sinnott, Drew Kelly, Dylan Wood, and myself, Luke Kappa. And we're just going to be touching on some assorted pieces of gear that we've been using over the past several weeks. Uh, we're pretty solidly into spring bordering on summer touring season for most of us, apart from those who got to go up to Alaska to go ski thousands of feet of pow. So we're just going to talk about some of the stuff we've been using. And on that note, maybe Drew, you could kick us off with some thoughts on the stuff you're using for your trip up to Alaska. I decided to bring a 193 K2 Mindbender 116C and a 2021 Rossi Sender with Duke PT-16s on it in a 186 length. And which one did you end up using the most? 
those are both pretty lightweight setups, but I decided to use the sender the most because like any regular old 17-year-old, we didn't really build off days or rest days into our <laughs> schedule. So we just wanted to ski every day and I kind of got worn out over the course of, I don't know, I think we had 11 total days of skiing. Um, I kind of got worn out over those days because they were pretty much all consecutive. And so... The other thing too is the is the Rossi Center is actually I've found it to be uh, really versatile. I've skied it for about a season now. I mounted it actually further back than the um, rec line, so I think it's at about minus ten right now from center of the ski. Being further back on the ski enables me to get a little bit more float and pow. Gotcha. Yeah, it's. I remember skiing what was probably very different conditions last spring when we <laughs> went up to Axtell and you were on that ski and we were sidestepping down like fully refrozen ice. So I'm glad to hear you got it in some better conditions than that, I assume. Yes, I got it in a lot better conditions than refrozen ice. And then the days that I skied my Mindbender 116C, you know, that ski floats really well. To start off with, it's 116 underfoot millimeters underfoot, and it's it's a 193. I noticed a bunch more torque on the boots that I was wearing, and caused them to kind of collapse in their forward range of motion when I hit like the bottom of that range of motion. Especially in it wasn't very cold in Alaska. It felt cold, but the actual temperatures were kind of like high 20s, low 30s, and the boot I was wearing was the Lang XT3 and a ski, I think that long and stiff kind of put that boot through its paces and took it to the, its kind of limit of progressive flex. Gotcha. Yeah. And it didn't look like you guys were skiing like mellow lines. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we skied a mix of everything, but. Gotcha. Um, and did you use the XT3 throughout? Was that your single boot for the trip? Yeah, I use the XT3 every day. And that's the lightweight part of my setup, I feel like. So I got used to that. I don't mind the range of motion at all. I haven't skied a quote unquote real touring boot in a while. So I really enjoyed that boot's range of motion. It didn't bother me. Like I said, I think because it's got a PU lower in it, it's more temperature sensitive than a lot of other touring boots. And so in some of those warmer conditions when we were skiing solar aspects, it got pretty squishy and it didn't feel like the, the 130 that it usually feels like. But that was really my only complaint of the boot. Gotcha. Cool. Well, next, Kara, do you want to go into something you've been using? Yeah, I think that provides an interesting segue. Um, first of all, Drew, your trip to Alaska looked awesome. I'm super jealous. That was cool to see all the footage. You guys got some great conditions, so I'm stoked for you. Um, but Drew was just talking about how he's never used like maybe that true touring boot. And I guess this season was the first season I transitioned to a lighter, more walkable boot um, for touring. And so I've been spending a lot of time in the Technica Zero G Tour Scout W. And I'll say that boots worked really well for me um, in regard to fit. I mean, as far as low volume fits for my foot go, it's been excellent. I've spent a lot of really long days in it, like long days just standing in the snow, digging pits, or I just went on like an overnight trip and, uh, you know, it's all I had to wear for a few days. And so I think fit wise, it's been great. Um, uphill performance wise, it's incredible. Just having a boot that walks that well has really been a game changer for me. And I think I'm just like finally feeling more confident in my like really steep kick turns and everything like that because of the uh, range of motion of that cuff. So that's been excellent to kind of make that transition. And um, then I will say like, it's, you know, the women's specific version of the zero G and it's a stated flex of 115. And for most like for giving backcountry skiing, I feel like that's been pretty uh, reasonably stiff and responsive and supportive for myself. But then there's been a few kind of questionable or cruddy conditions in which I wished uh, that it was a little bit stiffer. And that also I kind of sometimes feel like the cuff is a bit short for me. Um, so the caveat there is that Technica does make their 130, the Zero G Tour Pro in a 22.5 um, and in every size thereafter. And so I'd be curious to if I could ever A-B test um, the men's version or the unisex version, that 130 flex with the taller cuff. That would be an interesting comparison for me because I think for the most part this boot has worked, but there's been a few times where I was wishing I had a little bit more uh, boot and more support. 
Gotcha. And you also spent a lot of time in the Technica Cochise Pro W, which I believe is a stated flex of 120. Would you say that, I mean, those numbers are so trivial, but would you say that it, it feels like a, quote, five-point difference, or does it feel more substantial than that between the two? I think it's a more significant difference than a stated flex of, like, five points because, um, yeah, the Cochise is just, like, so much more robust and laterally supportive and I just don't find myself like ever feeling like that boot's too soft where there's been really firm days on the zero g tour scout where I'm like this boot could definitely be stiffer for my build and my height and everything and so I wouldn't say like you know that's kind of an arbitrary number but it feels like a more significant difference than the five stated flex points between those two boots gotcha yeah it is cool like I didn't actually realize that they made the the top 130 flex tour pro and into a 22.5 which is cool to see i've actually got back into that boot for the first time in i think like two years the past few weeks still pretty amazed by how well it skis for how light it is still not quite working for my feet i found i can skin in it just fine but walking is pretty excruciating but still amazed by the performance of that boot. Um, what skis have you been running mostly with the Zero-G Tour Scout? Yeah, so to pair with that boot, I've been spending a lot of time on the Nordica Santa Ana Unlimited 93, um, which I hope to be putting a review out on soon. And that's been, I mean, just kind of to tell the backstory here is I've been accustomed to super heavy touring setups like Drew when I you know did a big trip a couple years ago I took the Mindbender 115C and lugged it up like some really big ascents with my you know Lang XT130 and so I was accustomed to pretty heavy setups which always left me like feeling pretty trustworthy of them in variable conditions on the descent but this year I'm really happy to report that the Santa Ana Unlimited 93 plus the Zero G has felt like a pretty reliable and versatile touring setup. So yeah, I mean, I've found the Unlimited 93 to be fairly stable, but relatively easy to turn. It can be forgiving in rough conditions. The one time it's felt lacking is just when it's really deep snow and I'd prefer to get on something wider. But aside from that, in some of the variable days I've had out in the backcountry, I've found that ski to be a good balance of fairly stable, but still, um, easy to turn and quick initiation and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. We just published the review of the enforcer unlimited 104 that we've been skiing. Um, and I'd say very similar things, obviously the 104 definitely more manageable in deeper snow, but I like how they transferred that lighter weight construction to the Santa Ana enforcer platforms. I think it was a good call. You had mentioned, Kara, that you're a recent newcomer to like more lightweight or average weight, midweight touring gear from your uh, Lang XT Free. Did you ever ski your boots or have you ever skied these lighter weight Technica Scout Zero Gs in conditions where they were so good that you did not miss having the Cochis? I think the most like notable uh, kind of like stability and support I felt from the boots is when the conditions are pretty forgiving. Like when I was skiing like South facing crusts or some like pretty cruddy variable snow, that's when I noticed that maybe I'd prefer a little bit more like stiff or lateral support from that boot. Um, and so I think like when I've had great forgiving backcountry days is when I'm like, this boot is doing everything I need it to. But in other conditions, that's where maybe the Zero G Tour Pro would potentially just offer a little bit more. Well, Dylan, do you want to discuss some skis that we've been using in areas that didn't require us to walk uphill? Yeah, I love chairlifts, man. (laughs) Chairlifts are awesome. I've been having some feet troubles this season as Drew and Kara have been so kind to help me with. And so I've skied one day since... Mount Crested Butte closed and the last couple weeks of the season I was spending a lot of time on uh, a few different skis uh, the first of which I think you t- we touched on a couple episodes ago um, with Luke and Jonathan the Faction Mana series we have the Mana 2 and the Mana 3 they're essentially the continuation of the Candide series in Faction's line and while we've reviewed the wider Candide skis in the past, I don't think we've ever been on the narrower Candides, at least in the past you know, five-ish years. And so I think what first surprised me was 
how stiff these skis are. They're they're pretty stiff for all mountain freestyle skis, both the two and the three, and they're not too heavy either. Uh, they're more they're pretty comparable, I'd say, to something like a Moment Wildcat or you know White Dot Altum One Hundred Four. They're definitely no Sir Francis Bacon or K Two Reckoner. Um, definitely more aggressive all mountain freestyle skis, and uh, they have pretty pretty forward mount points. The Mono 3 is coming in somewhere around uh, 2.5 from, from True Center, and they have three different mount points on them. Sorry, this is getting confusing. Faction has a new school line all the way up front, a progressive line kind of right in the middle, and then a classic line in the back on both their Dancer and Mono series that we got this year. And they recommended we mount on the new school lines on the Monas. <laughs> and so, yeah, we're pretty far forward, pretty centered stances um, on those skis. But so far, what surprised me, at least on the Mana 2, is it's definitely not just, you know, a centered, casual, jibbing around, freestyle ski. You can drive it pretty hard and you can ski it like pretty directionally, you know, skiing headwall, moguls, kind of as I would, you know, a, a ski with like a minus eight mount point. So that's been surprising. And yeah, they're, at least for the Mana 2, I've been skiing that thing in the park a lot. And it's definitely falling on the end of the spectrum towards more, you know, faster skiing, bigger jumps, more aggressive tricks, bigger features. And, you know, you, it, it can, it's pretty poppy. So you can get some good air on those smaller features and, you know, jibbing around like that. But again, this, you know, these are pretty aggressive all mountain freestyle skis and definitely haven't found their limits in the park in, as terms, in terms of like folding them up or yeah even around the mountain and being pretty lightweight in stiff skis i was a bit worried at first that they'd feel harsh in like those early morning refrozen conditions but so far they've been surprisingly smooth uh, for how little they weigh i think the mana 2 is coming in right around 1950 grams and the mana 3 around 2050 uh, we do have specs on the site as well so you can go check those out if you're wondering the exact weights but yeah, do you have anything to add about those, Luke? Uh, yeah, I just agree overall. Like, I the last time I'd skied a Candide skied was the Candide three in twenty eighteen. I think it was the, we had the seventeen eighteen version, um, and that was back when it was one oh eight underfoot, and then they reverted back to the original one twelve underfoot, which is apparently what Candide preferred. I've liked them more than I expected. I mean, it definitely helped that I was primarily skiing them in the spring, and they were a lot of fun, even on like the firm early morning groomers, but where I really came to love them was when it got slushy later in the afternoon. And I actually got on back on the Mana 3 two weekends ago as of when we're recording this um went up to breckenridge and i had brought three or four skis with me and skied all of them the first day and then just brought the mana three the next day because of how much i enjoyed it yeah it's surprising to me for being kind of factions pure freestyle skis these days they still let you ski very directionally if you want to even on the new school line which i really appreciate because i really don't get along with skis that feel like you have to ski them perfectly upright like i was actually just reading our old review of the old candied three and i had been skiing that versus an old owen 3p jeffrey 108 and that jeffrey i remember just like being you, you had to ski it very upright and that made it much less intuitive whereas the the monoskis have been pretty much just like get on them and go and ski how i want which has been really nice and yeah for how light they are uh, relatively i've been surprised by how much i enjoy them even when we got out a bit early and things weren't totally thought out yet still had a good time on them and yeah, once it gets soft, it's a really fun combination of light but strong enough to push hard. And I, at, by the end of the trip at Breck, I was just like trying to convince my friends to go back to the one bump line they still had. Because first of all, Breckenridge bumps make you feel like an Olympic mogul skier compared to Crested <laughs> Buttes bumps. And they were perfectly soft and there was just such a perfect flow through one of the lines. So that was a blast and made me feel much better about myself. Yeah, definitely enjoyed the Monitu a lot in slush. It seemed like a really good, like stiffer ski that you know can't fold up too much in slush, especially when you're you know skiing a lot of park and you're wanting a more playful ski. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely worth looking at if you spend a lot of time 
slush park ski and, and you want a wider ski. I had forgotten that the three had gotten wider to 112 underfoot because on the, the last run of the weekend, I managed to boot out in it, carving on, I guess, what was a slushier groomer than I expected. And that caused a spectacular crash. But <laughs> overall, they're they're a whole bunch of fun in slush. Oh, yeah. Kristen, what you got? So, yeah, I don't know how to segue any of that. Like, <laughs> I didn't give you a segue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the last bit of the season when I was still, we were still spinning lifts. Like I was focusing on trying to put together a deep dive on kind of 88 to 93, 94 uh, waist, millimeter waist skis. And so I spent a lot of time on the renowned Earhart 88, hoping to get the full review out on that soon. And the a DPS Pagoda Piece 90 RP. But yeah, we have a lot of skis in that um, category right now. So it's been really fun A-being them. Of course, when the lift stopped spinning, my skis went to line Pandora 110s, which are nice and lightweight. But um, yeah, haven't really gotten to put them to the test as far as uphill travel. Because unlike you four, I have a three-year-old. And it's just been, yeah, I, I, I can go on the lighter side of things right now, if you guys are willing, on how to take your toddler up a mountain uh, when you're, it's sun cupped and uh, there's no chairlift spinning. But so I'm, yeah, bear with me, folks, we're going to go into it. Uh, he's now, he's almost four, he'll be four in August. And he's, for the last four ski seasons, like he's gone uphill in my backpack, on my chest, like he's been really good at it. Even when we were spinning lifts, the last few days of the season, he'd look down and he goes, mom, I'd like to hike that. It's like, oh, cool. Like you're going to hike it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so then like the next weekend when they stop spinning, he he did hike it, but I have this new Trail Magic Kid Carrier, and it's basically a piece of canvas that straps onto a backpack-style backpack. It, it weighs less than a pound. It's easy in and out for a kid. So a toddler, it's not meant for, like, babies or anything like, like that, but you don't have to bring a big, like, doiter kid carrier or soft-sided carrier. So you hooks to the kind of the shoulder tighteners. Um, it hooks onto those and then to your shoulder straps and he can get in and out. Like, I think he did it five times in like the first 30 minutes, he'd hike a ways and he'd hop in and we're carrying his skis and boots. And so we eventually got him up there. The next time we tried pulling him with his harness, which if you tried to pull somebody from the chest up a steep slope, turns out it doesn't work so well. And if you're doing it to a three and a half year old, they will let you know. <laughs> so it's been pretty fun, but <laughs> it's he's been a trooper and, and we're carrying his skis and turns out 70 centimeter length skis aren't really good in super deep slush bumps unless you hide jelly beans in the slush cups <laughs> and then he'll go find all of them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, he's got this yeah sweet setup with the Nordica Navigator Team FTD skis and he was maneuvering around all the little slush bumps and grabbing the jelly beans and... <laughs> Yeah, some April and May skiing with a toddler is pretty fun but exhausting. And yeah, that's my review on skiing with a toddler. So so were you like on the way up, like dropping jelly beans, like breadcrumb trail for him? Okay, first of all, none of you tell Lyndon we were responsible for the jelly beans because oh, okay. he does not know. Gotcha. No, on the way up, he, he wore like his snow boots and he'd hike for a little while with a ski pole and he was, he's actually gotten pretty strong and then he'd go in the carrier and eventually put the skis on. So the way up, we did not bribe him with the, the sun cup jelly beans. And if people don't know what a sun cup is, it's the where the snow is melting from like, like say a darker patch or a rock and the snow melts faster in that area and just creates like a dimple in a golf ball. Right. So, and they get pretty big in the spring, especially right now they're really big. And so on the way down, he was tired and exhausted and he didn't want to, he wasn't too enthusiastic. So we decided to like, I guess we had to go through a piece of a section of woods that was, I was like, I'm not carrying you through this. This looks treacherous. Like you can go on your own skis and I'll do the harness and getting him through that was like, Pat would go ahead of me. My husband would go ahead of me and do the sun cup jelly beans. And then, yeah. Gotcha. Sounds like you're raising an uphill athlete who just loves storming uphill and doesn't care too much about the down. Yeah. Especially in mommy's arms, (laughs) (laughs) towing a sled in a trail magic kid carrier. Like it's, it's going to work out though. If anybody wants to come over. (laughs) Gotcha. His endurance food of choice for years to come. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Man, I wish people would leave candy on the skin track for me when I'm going up, up and down. I'll skin with you. I'll leave the candy for you. (laughs) 
Kristen, that also sounds harder than any spring mission any of us have had, including maybe Drew's mission in Alaska. So good job. It's pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I think I need to buy the, the trail magic thing for all my touring partners just in case they need to carry me up. Yeah, I think the, the weight limit might be 43 pounds. I'm not I'm not saying Are you're you saying heavy no? loop, but... <laughs> Blister labs will, will test it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Well, I've been not carrying that much weight around, thankfully. Um, I've actually been testing a few pretty lightweight setups. Um, one of the standouts has been the Plume uh, Pika binding, which I started testing late last spring and have continued using this year now on a pair of the blizzard hustle 10 skis um and it's kind of in that category of like 300 to 400 ish gram bindings that aren't like super super lightweight race bindings but significantly lighter than something like a dinafit rotation or a g3 ion or plumes uh, summit binding which we've also been skiing um but that binding has been super cool and that for being so lightweight, it is notably burly. It seems like most of their bindings are machined out of solid blocks of aluminum. It does not feel very like when you're just handling it or setting it up for a new pair of boots, it does not feel super lightweight like some of the more plasticky ones can. And so far, ski performance has been really good. Um, I continually realize whenever we're getting on new bindings how much I appreciate a high heel riser. I'm definitely missing that on the Pika, but pretty cool binding in that lighter weight category that I'm excited to continue to spend time on this spring and summer, um, especially with that Hustle 10, because that Hustle has proven to be a really fun ski. It's basically a Rustler 10 with a much lighter construction. Um, I think our pair of the 180 centimeters, like 1800 grams, so not super light, but has been a blast, especially when I'm just getting a quick lap at the mountain to ski down what are essentially like corn groomers these days. Um, it's also, I've realized that I have a really fun time and just find it very enjoyable to ski switch in really lightweight pin bindings and lightweight boots. Cause I think, cause it's like, there's something wrong about it. And you're not supposed to be able to do that, but the hustle lets me do that and it carves really well switch. So that's been a blast. But we've also been skiing a decent amount of, uh, there's a decent amount of products that we got on kind of late in the resort season that we didn't get to talk about. Um, Dylan, do you want to take us into some of the K2 Mindbenders? Sure. Yeah. So we got the Mindbender 99Ti, both in the men's and the women's. And Kara's already reviewed that. We posted about it. And we also got the 108 Ti and the 89 Ti. And I've skied both the 89 and the 99. And I skied, I think, two days on the 99 before the lift started or lift stopped spinning. And that was a really fun ski. I started out on the line like we do with most directional skis or most skis, period. And was skiing just all over CB. And it's pretty energetic ski, produces a lot of energy in in bumps and on groomers as well. Um, it's a really good carver. It's it's tip initiates carved turns pretty well. And yeah, I was I was you know enjoying my day on it, skiing with a more directional style, skiing all over the mountain. And then I moved the bindings forward two centimeters. And then I really started having a good time on that ski, just for my personal style, I'm sure. Drew probably would move the bindings like four centimeters back. Um, but I was really enjoying myself two centimeters forward. It felt like it was a little bit more balanced in the air, easier to wash the tails out a little bit, a little bit more accepting of a centered stance. And when I was skiing it on the line, I felt like I had to, you know, chameleon myself into a bit more of a directional style. And when I moved the bindings forward, I was really not changing much about how I skied at all on that ski and, and really enjoying it. I know, Luke, you've been skiing that as well. And Jonathan's been getting some time on it too. Do you have anything to add about the 99? Yeah, I think, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I also ended up preferring it with the bindings a little forward. And I know Jed Yeiser will get mad about that. because um, he, He's pretty adamant with good reason that most skis ski best on their recommended lines. Those aren't just arbitrary things. But Sorry, at the same Jed. time... Yeah. At the same time, I very much enjoy when a ski can also ski well 
at a different mount point. And I'd say that's the case for all the mind benders, uh, the 89, 99 and 108. And I've enjoyed all of them a little bit forward, one or two centimeters. But yeah, I think in addition to what you said, just the versatility of that ski really stood out to me. Like once you get under 90 millimeters underfoot, um, a lot of the skis are kind of wider versions of narrower carving skis that feel like they just kind of want to be on piste and they handle like pushed around snow or slush better than narrower ones, but are still pretty much carving skis. The mine better in 89 is definitely not like I really enjoyed it in bumps, especially when I moved the bindings forward. Um, it's got more rocker than a lot of skis around that width. And at the same time, it still, I still enjoyed carving it a whole lot as is the case for all the mind benders. I think that's one thing that they all do really well is for how maneuverable they feel off piste. They still offer really good turn initiation and edge hold. Um, overall big fan of that whole series. Um, I think the, I think the 99 is my personal favorite, but all of them feel like very cohesive, like well executed designs and i'm i'm psyched on that update the 89 is definitely more piece oriented but there's a lot of family resemblance between the two um it's kind of just like what you'd expect i feel like between an 89 and a 99 the, the 99 does feel substantially ironically even though it's wider and heavier it felt almost quicker to me off piste and maybe that's just because the old mindbender 99 was a very substantial pretty heavy sometimes punishing ski the new one it feels totally different and the latest 89 feels like a very logical kind of pairing with the 99 just for people who want to spend more time on piste but yeah overall big fan of that series that's interesting because i i didn't ski the old version of the 99 and i i felt the opposite i felt like the 89 was a little bit quicker off piece personally um so I don't I don't know what what's going on there, but I, I did get one day on the 89 as well. It was I think Saturday before closing day at CB, and we had kind of a weird closing weekend where it was kind of cloudy and not super slushy. So I took the 89 out in the morning, kind of thinking like, oh, let me just carve a little bit, and I'll you know go back in at like one o'clock and then grab a different ski for the afternoon once it softens up a little bit. And I ended up skiing the whole day on the 89 Ti and having a lot of fun. First of all, it's a really good carver, in my opinion. One of, I think, my favorite skis I've ever carved, being someone who hasn't come from a racing background and doesn't have Drew Kelly technique. It just initiates carve turns really well, can you know, push it really hard and stays composed and really bounces you out of those turns and into the next. But what was most surprising is, you know, getting it onto headwall, funnel, banana, um, all over the mountain. I was like, yeah, this thing is not definitely not just a groomer ski. Like this is an all mountain 89 millimeter wide ski for sure. And again, energetic ski bouncing you out of turns, pretty easy to bend tails. Definitely let you know they're there, but they're not super demanding. And I know, Drew, you skied the 89 a little bit as well, correct? Uh, I have not. I've just skied the 99. Gotcha. I think jo Jonathan told me that he witnessed you, quote, carving the shit out of one of those skis. So <laughs> It was the 99. I have the photo proof. Rob Dickinson and I did like a follow cam, like a dorky old guy follow cam day <laughs> on the 99s and... Yeah, that ski feels like how you're describing the 89 right now feels like the old 99 to me and like a very planted, uh, fun carving ski that has some versatility. The new 99 feels like it's taken the um, good carving qualities of the old 99 and added more all mountain versatility to it. So I'm I mean, you guys were talking before about how I like rearward mounted skis, but I'm really curious to push the bindings forward and ski some bumps and lay some turns over in the new 99 and see how it does, um, at that mounting point as well. Yeah. The, yeah. Comparing the, the old versus new 99, they feel like totally different skis. And while like, I thought that old 99 had a very, like it was going to make certain people really happy. I think the new 99 is going to make many more people very happy. I think it's just going to work better for a lot of people. Um, and I'm really curious to like hear from some blister members next season once more people start getting on it. Kara, do you have anything to add about the women's version? Yeah, I think I'll just weigh in and say, I mean, the women 
the women's and the men's 99 TI is the same construction. Um, I got to make my return to Towski Valley after four seasons away late this spring, and that was some of my last lift service skiing for the year. And that whole weekend just exemplified like what I find to be the most notable trait from the Mindbender 99 TI, which is just maximum versatility because it started off just some of the cruddiest refrozen conditions like what I imagine skiing um, almost like icefall would feel like on some of the steeps because it had gotten so severely warm and then froze up and it was borderline like unedgeable snow kind of scary but this you know this ski offered a really planted feel that also was very easy to initiate like very easy um, and lively to make really quick turns on and so in that way it was very confidence inspiring on what was very terrible skiing and then that evolved into like some of the best slush skiing I've had all season just like lapping Kachina Peak um, again and again and just skiing like some pretty open lines um, bigger turns like much faster pace than I had been skiing the days previous when it was really scary and I was just impressed by how much that ski could do you know it feels smooth stable it's super intuitive and overall just like a play, uh, playful, lively ski that's still quite damp. And so, um, I mean, I would go as far as to say as like one of the favorite skis I was on this entire season. And um, I, I spoke a lot to that in the review, but it's definitely a pretty impressive ski. And I think a lot of people will enjoy it. I wanted to touch on, I don't know which episode it was, but sometime when I talked to Jonathan, I had talked about my experiences so far in the ZipFit GFT liner, their touring liner and had alluded to the fact that I wanted to try it in Solomon's new, very lightweight touring boot, the S-Lab Mountain Summit. He thought I was insane. I I uh, think the day afterwards, I got a text from him with a screenshot from Cody Townsend saying he has put ZipFits in his Mountain Summit boots, which made me feel good anytime Jonathan is wrong. But what honestly, the thing that stood out most with that combo is that it felt like it was telling me not to do it when I was trying to get my foot in and out. Like one of the most challenging experiences ever with boot in terms of getting it in and out. Um, zip fits. Yeah. It would, I don't know if I would have been able to get it out if Drew wasn't there when I was taking off the boots. Um, so I don't think I'll be doing that a whole lot again. I feel like some modifications could make that easier, but I mean that combo skis, ludicrously well for how light that shell is it's significantly offers much better suspension and a much more precise fit than i can get with the stock liner personally i don't feel like it's like in terms of outright stiffness i don't feel like it stiffens it up that much but i'm still really impressed by the the overall stiffness of that mountain summit boot and how progressive it actually is for being so light which i feel like is rare but i don't think i'll be pairing it up super often it does like th I think that category of boots is where I notice the most that ZipFit GFT is not a super malleable lightweight liner. Like it definitely hampers the, the usable range of motion on that boot. It still tours significantly better than when I have the ZipFit GFT in a Zero G or a Cochise, which I've also been skiing it in. Um, but I feel like not too many people are going to be going the same route and putting that GFT in a 1200 gram or less boot. But if they don't mind giving up a bit of range motion and want a pretty significant increase in fit and downhill performance it is pretty cool if you can get it in and out of your boot. But more so, I've been really liking it in that zero G, especially like it. I, I feel like there's still plenty of tweaking I could do in terms of fit. I haven't nailed it yet, but it's the most secure heel hold I've ever had in a touring boot, which is really cool. And it skis really well, um, better than I think most stock liners that come in boots that light. So I'll have more to say about that in the future. But how about we move on to some soft goods? Kristen, do you want to kick it off with some outerwear? Yeah. So um, I've been in the Strafe Lynx 3L shell pullover in Anorak um, for over a year now. And I, I, I kind of fall between you, Luke, and Jonathan on where I stand on Anoraks. I like them, but I don't necessarily love them all the time. And I, I liked the straight links. Like it was, it's a good pullover and I've liked it kind of from the beginning, but it's still like just enough of getting it on and off, even though the zipper is like ridiculously long. It's sometimes hard to figure out where you actually put your, your arm because it unzips so much. 
yeah, I skied with it all spring and I've been touring with it. And I had some girlfriends out visiting that weren't used to elevation. I was like, oh, I'll carry the water bottle. It's fine. And usually like the water bottle sits on one side of a pocket and a jacket just totally weighs you down. But this one has the two mesh liners on the inside of the kangaroo pouch. And I was shocked that I could fit like a whole, one of those like 12 ounce bottles, like aluminum bottles in there without even noticing like it zipped it up nice it's like oh man new for this coming season strave has the willow half bib it's the same material and it it's super lightweight so i did find myself getting a little cold in it on occasion on uh, those colder days that kara actually referred to and it, it it was super it was like 60 degrees one day and the next day i think it was 30 which really isn't cold but when you're just it, you know used to 60 in the spring feels cold but yeah it's actually you know if you layer up underneath it's great and then um don't really feel the need to ski in shorts because the vents are so long and it's a, a such a thin layer but still still can be pretty versatile i wouldn't wear it on the coldest days and i have to admit the first time i put them on those same girlfriends were over there i put them on I'm like oh my god this is the least flattering thing this must be like prototype i can't, i don't know i don't love this and then i wore them and i was like ah Okay, they, they figured this out, actually. It's pretty amazing. Um, I haven't really done a half-bib type pant design, but uh turns out they're very practical and I've been really enjoying those. Sweet. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan, and I I noticed, like, going through the new Strafe stuff, they went with that half-bib, I guess, for the new sham pants. I think everything else is just about the same, but I feel like that makes those are some of my favorite touring pants of all time, and I think that makes them help even better, which is exciting. And I'm continuing to love that straight recon kit. I'm blown away by how just how breathable it is. Like been touring in fifty to sixty degrees, like thin base layers underneath, but it's pretty awesome. So still a fan of that. Could you all please describe? Not that I don't know what a half bib is, but there might be someone listening that doesn't know what you mean by half bib. So could you please educate them and not me, just so we're clear? Yeah. I mean, the half bibs are great in that they don't offer as much like torso coverage, um, which I think is wonderful when you're touring or sweating quite a bit. And so that's where I've like found the half bib application to just make a ton of sense. Yeah, I'd relate it. I feel like there are a lot of like, like, some bike bibs that have similar level of coverage like yeah just over kind of like over the belly button usually it's a a non-waterproof just membraneless stretch woven fabric um and i'm a big fan of that because one i feel like it's it does a better job of staying up above your waist the suspenders help and you're not getting a huge loss and breathability as you would with even the same silhouette with a waterproof fabric. I think that's a big deal, especially here where we're not usually getting like super wet snow. And I don't think I've ever needed waterproof bib fabric past my waist really, but apparently some people ski a lot more deep snow than us. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Kara, do you want to give us an update on your heated sock experiment? Yeah, so I would love to weigh in on heated socks. Um, for those of you that tuned into Gear 30 a couple weeks ago, there was Drew and Rachel Harding from the Spokane Alpine House. Um, so that episode, Drew was talking about heated socks, which I actually had my first experience with this season. Um, as a boot fitter for so long, I feel like heated socks were really lacking and that the go-to method for ensuring warm feet was boot heaters. And there's still some great boot heater options out there right now, but I feel like heated socks have come a really long way in that um, you still get like a really like pretty thin wicking sock um, that still offers like really substantial heat. And so the pair that I used the most this season was the Thermic sock set. Um, it's the V2 and then the Uni S1200. So that's kind of a mouthful, but there's different variations of the battery packs and some of them are Bluetooth compatible. Um, but what I found great about the heated socks is like you get to choose which days you're using your heating element or not. Um, whereas like with boot heaters, there's just like a lot less uh, versatility. Like you kind of always have them installed on your insole and the cables kind of always in your boot. Um, which didn't work well for me as someone who's like always testing different boots and I have several insoles and things like that. And so I think just having like the option of when I want to 
utilize a heated sock or not. Um, it's just a really easy, simple system. It doesn't require any installation, which is great. And I was just really impressed with this particular pair for its actual heat output. Like when I have it cranked, it's actually like hotter than I would ever want my foot to be. But then on like really severely cold days, like that really intense cold front we had in early January, I know it saved my feet on several occasions. Um, and I tend to run pretty cold and I've actually had like a few borderline scary instances with cold feet. And so I think heated socks are a great way to go and they're easy to wash and you know, they're easy, just a really easy intuitive system to set up for anyone. And so I just wanted to kind of second what Drew was saying as far as the heated socks go. And so I've become a big proponent of them this season. And the reason it kind of resurfaced is that when I went on a ski camping trip a couple weeks ago, I knew I was going to be pretty worried about my feet, um, especially overnight. And so yes, they added a bit of weight to my pack. But like that night, I got to have warm feet in my sleeping bag the entire night. And then I got to like, shove them into my liners in the morning to warm up my boots that were otherwise very cold from the night before. So I think there's just a lot of versatility there. And uh, I'm kind of really into heated socks right now. I have a question on that because I have a pair and I'm terrible at, I mean, I guess trying to wrangle a kid into the, to go skiing, I always forget to charge them. So I, I would, I've worn them a few times when they weren't charged and not quite as comfortable as my normal ski socks. But did you actually tour in them or did you just take them for the overnight? Because that's pretty genius. Well, I have yet to tour in them because my feet don't really get that cold when I'm going uphill. And so they were great for cold resort days. And then for the overnight, they were just kind of essential because of the long cold night camping in the snow. I just found that to be like the solution that uh, made the most sense. How much heavier than your normal socks would you say they are? Um, I should probably know like offhand the weight, but with the battery pack, the sock itself is like pretty low volume, quite thin, which I'm really, I mean, I have to wear thin socks. There's really no other option. And then just with the battery pack that like snaps into the cuff, the battery is really the only thing that's adding weight, but it's not too substantial. You tested a bunch this winter, right? So we'll have a roundup coming out and... Yes, I tested several and so did Sasha, um, who also has troublesome cold feet. And so I think between the two of us, we're going to have a good bit to say about different systems. But that like at the end of it all, even though I'm really efficient at installing boot heaters and I've done it a lot, I just found the heated socks to be really like comprehensive and easy. Yeah, and I, I would never have even thought of just using them for winter camping. That sounds really nice because that's one of my least favorite parts of winter camping and camping in general is cold feet and especially cold boots in the morning. Yeah. Did it not to hate on Molly, but did anyone see Molly Armanino's toe Oof. incident? Yeah. I heard Pretty about bad. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Molly Armanino on Instagram and she'll, she'll post a toe pick one day. It'll make you, you'll, you'll have some heated socks in your cart within about <laughs> 30 minutes of you in that photo. Sorry, yeah. Molly. <laughs> but yeah, that, but, the point is that it is a safety thing too. So, I mean, if you suffer from cold feet, it's not a bad idea to make that investment. Yeah, cold feet can not only ruin a night, but an entire season. It goes really, really poorly. Yeah, funny we're talking about this on May 13th, <laughs> like just in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get your heated socks for the spring <laughs> corn. But I think there's sales. <laughs> cool. Well, actually, on that note, um, a lot of us are searching for spring corn right now and or transitioning into more traditional summer activities. Uh, Drew, anything that's been standing out for either of those? Uh, well, I'm always hunting for a good pair of lightweight gloves for spring skiing and also summer and fall running at higher elevations, climbing, something with good dexterity. Um, that lasts a long time. I feel like I always struggle to find a glove that's going to last more than a season most of them after like a month and a half i find are kind of getting torn up um and so my friend set me up with this camp g comp warm glove it's a lightweight stretchy glove that has a uh prima loft hood that you can pull over it and so far they've been really uh nice and precisely fitting so you still have a lot of dexterity so you don't have to pull them off to transition skiing they've got a tight fit and they have these minimalist wrist leashes which i love you don't have to micromanage 
you know, pulling off your glove and figuring out where it's blown off to. And it's got a nice nose wipe on it, this terry cloth cloth on the back uh, sewn wipe so you can wipe your nose because my nose is always running in the spring. And I've worn them for like 60 days and they don't have any any signs of wear on them. So. Huh. Is it a leather palm? It is. It has like these tacky, plasticky overlays on the palm so there's really good grip as well gotcha yeah i feel like that's the issue i run into all the time with lightweight gloves i've actually been my spring glove which i i lost one of them at breckenridge which is a bummer but it isn't a huge bummer because they're 18 dollars, and apparently hestra has a a, i guess there is still technically hestra but it's hestra job it's like they're kinko and the local gas station at Crested Butte put them up at, like next to the counter, like at the beginning of this winter season. I was really confused and intrigued. And I think it was like the last second, last week of the lift access season decided to pick up a pair uh, for, yeah, less than $20. It's still full leather palm. I'm sure it's not nearly as high quality leather as their $150 gloves, but um, they're like super nice for spring skiing, very minimally insulated definitely not the most dexterous there's a very simple pattern but i'm now curious to look into the non-insulated ones as potential bike gloves because i'm i'm definitely a sucker for any sort of like non-insulated but still full leather palm gloves because i feel like those end up lasting so much longer than anything else i use thank you all for sharing your experiences on a very wide range of gear and um, I'm sure we'll all be talking again quite soon. Thanks, yeah. everyone. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, thanks. See ya. Well, that brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Kristen, Dylan, Kara, and Drew for the conversation. And as I'm recording this outro, I realized I totally forgot to ask all of them the what we're celebrating question. So you know what? Why don't you tell us what you are celebrating this week? Leave a comment on the post for this episode on our site or on our social posts about it. I'd be really curious to hear. On my end, I'm celebrating the fact that we're in that time of year when I'm pretty torn each weekend in terms of what I should do. And I mean that in a good way. This week, I got to go fishing, biking, skiing and camping and they all felt relatively reasonable maybe less so on the ski side so i guess i'm celebrating the options afforded by springtime and i hope everyone else is taking advantage of the same wherever you are i'll close this out with thanking the prominently handsome justin bob for editing this episode i had to use a thesaurus just so i could be different from jonathan i want to thank you all for listening and we will talk to you all very soon Bye-bye, everybody.